Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, located on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. Well, we're very pleased to have back as our guest this week, Dr. Ogilvie. Dr. Ogilvie, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be back with you again, Darrell. As we were talking last week, um, we started to talk about the value chain. Yes. And I think it's important for our audience to understand what is the value chain mm-hmm. and why is it important for a leader to fully understand okay. the value chain? Great. The value chain is how we describe the chain of events from getting resource from, say, oil out of the ground to the refineries, to the processing plants, um, to the gas station, and into your car. So it's all the activities that take place between the raw material and the final finished product in the hands of the customer. If it were wheat, for instance, and wheat, you have to grow the wheat, then you have to harvest the wheat, uh, then you have to mill it, and then you um, process it and make bread or cookies or cake or whatever. Uh, Then you package those goods, then you put them in the supermarket, and then you come to the supermarket, buy them, and you take them home. So it's all the steps to get the product from raw material uh, to the hands of the customer. Now, every business doesn't have the whole value chain, but they have a portion of it. And so if you're a leader, you want to look at those aspects of the value chain that are under your control, under your purview, and make sure that on each stage of the value chain that there's some creativity, that people think about not just coming up with a new idea for a product, like we talked about the legs last week. Um, So if we look at the legs, so we make pantyhose. But why not think about, well, how how are we going to package that pantyhose? And then they said, well, let's put it in this plastic egg. So that was a creative act, because before, pantyhose came in cardboard packages. Um, Well, are we going to put the pantyhose in the supermarket like everybody else? Well, no. Why don't we just put it in in the department store like everybody else? No, let's put it in the supermarket so it'll be easier for women to get it. And let's put it in the convenience stores and in the drug stores. So now women don't have to take a half an hour or so to go to the department store and then, you know, go up to the second or third floor and, you know, search this big, you know, department store, get their pantyhose and leave. They can drive up to the supermarket, run in quickly, or they can drive to the 7-Eleven and get their pantyhose in there on their way. So it's thinking about all the aspects of the value chain under your control and how can we creatively enhance what we're doing for each step of that value chain or each activity. And when a particular leader is is looking at their respective business, Mm -hmm. uh, is this something that they actively need to stay on top of each month with a performance dashboard to make sure that someone is not uh, lurking it to really eat their lunch? Well, what they have to do, I think, is a couple of things. First of all, they have to make sure they're looking at the real key drivers of their business. Because many of, I've, I've looked at what people call their KPIs. A lot of times, it's not really the key driver. The key driver is something that underlies the other drivers. And if you want to really get down to it, the key drivers are the people. Because all of everything that's done is an artifact of what people either did or don't do, which means if you treat your people well, if you have them motivated, if you have them concerned about the business, then they will take care of the aspects of the value chain. If you create a culture of creativity, then if I'm working on this area, then I'm going to try to figure out how can I do that better? How can I either save money, be more efficient, or be more effective and make money? And so then all your aspects of the value chain take care of themselves. Um, what the CEO has to do is to create in his or her company 
the idea of what kind of culture they want. If you want a culture of creativity, then you want to tell stories about how creativity made a difference, how people persisted when things didn't work out, how people came up with ideas in areas that weren't in their own area. The kind of get people to think, you know, we all should be creative, we all can be creative. I can self-actualize and evidence my creativity in my business. Excuse me, not just at home or, you know, on my leisure time. You know, you've used that word quite a bit. Uh, in regards to numbers, they're mm-hmm. an artifact of what people do. I've never heard it uh, put that way. Right. And an artifact is something in the past. So you, you're looking numbers at numbers are always that. in the past, and right. any number for the future is a guess and a wish. Right. So when we talk about, but it just amazes me how people treat budgets. You know, I, you budgeted for this, and that's sacrosanct. Well, the <laughs> budgets are a wish. It's a guess. There's nothing you know predictive about a budget. It shows where you should spend your time and attention, but things happen, and you have to adapt. So, and if somebody doesn't make their numbers, if it's either because they don't know what they're doing or not doing well, or something has happened disruptive that just shot everything to mess. Something that used to drive me crazy. Uh, when I was managing the Elsevier business, mm-hmm. I had uh, an expense budget mm-hmm. for, for my department. And quite frankly, I felt that since I've signed on to deliver a revenue number right. and a particular P&L number, right. The expenses, I should have the flexibility to use as I see fit. And I would get into a huge debate uh, with my finance colleagues who would say, oh, no, no, you you can't spend a dollar more in that area. I said, but I have this over here. Oh, but then they wanted to take that money for something else to use somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, that's the short-sightedness of business and this concentration on this um, analytical model of business. If If your job is to make money, and you see an opportunity, that means you have to spend some money because you have to spend money have to, to invest, make money. If I, mm-hmm. Then you should have the flexibility as a manager. I mean, why are, they hiring, why are they hiring you in the first place? Why are they giving you this portfolio to run if they don't have confidence in your judgment and ability? Finance guys should not be running your business. Neither should the lawyers be running your business. We used to say, if the lawyers are running your business, you'll be out of business because lawyers are not risk takers. And you have to take some risk in order to do business. I'm not. You don't want to do th- th- things that are illegal. Um, you don't want to do things that are stupid. Although sometimes we can't help ourselves. But you have, if it's your business, you're responsible for the bottom line. Then you should have some flexibility to be able to spend the money. And then it's on you to deliver results. If you're spending the money, you're not delivering results. Then we have to have a conversation. If we can't get that straight, you have to leave and get on somebody else's train. Get off of this one. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. You, what I believe is that we have too many rules and regulations. What we really need to do is create the sandbox and say, okay, here are the f- three or four simple rules that you have to follow, and then it's up to you. And then in the sandbox, you do what you need to do. Again, as long as it's not illegal or immoral or unethical. And let you make – it's your judgment. Let you run your business as a business rather than you know weighing you down with policies and procedures and finance guys telling you what you can and can't do, the accounting guys telling you what you can and can't do. Right. You're the one who has to deliver results. They, those are the people who aren't delivering results because they don't really, you know, they're not responsible for the bottom line. They don't sleep with it. Uh, no. I mean, when you're running a business and, yeah. you know, it was the beauty about um, my job at 7-Eleven, I was running my own businesses. I was mm-hmm. responsible. If like, things didn't work, they weren't looking at the finance guys. They were looking at me. Right. Right. I was fortunate. I was able to to have my businesses do quite well, part of it was because I was able to motivate the people running the stores to do what they needed to do to, to make this work. But it was on me. And if they don't have confidence in my judgment, then I'm in the wrong place. 
Let's talk about the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development. Mm-hmm. What was the the reason why this center was created, and what is your primary mission? Okay, um, the center was created and launched in 2008, launched in October. We had had a center for entrepreneurship, but it hadn't done um, a lot, had not really been well supported by the university. Um, we came up with this vision, actually, um, t- for a couple of things, because the center has actually satisfied more than one need. is a diversity cluster hire initiated by our president, um, Dr. Richard McCormick, uh, which was to have people submit proposals for clusters of faculty in a diverse, diverse faculty in an area. And I came up with the idea of urban entrepreneurship and economic development because it fit. I mean, we were in an urban setting. The city of Newark um, is a living laboratory right outside our door. Obviously, we need uh, economic development. And, and my, our notion was that unlike most programs that try to do economic development that look at job creation and housing, we looked at economic development as a result of wealth creation. And by that I mean, if I put you, Darrell, into a business, a business that has potential to grow, your business does well, particularly if you have Rutgers um, intellectual capital and knowledge um, behind you. You do well, you're gonna hire people, you're gonna hire local people. Those people are gonna have decent paying jobs, they can buy their housing. The other thing is if I put you in business and you're a Newark resident in business, then that circulates the money in Newark, which makes a tremendous difference to the city. So what is, we call it um, circulation. What it means is that if you have a spend a dollar and you spend that dollar in Newark, that dollar can then be spent by somebody else. How many times hands. is that dollar turnover right now? In Newark, it's less than one. Less than one? Right. Most of our goods and services are purchased outside of Newark. So we have what we call net leakage. Money, for instance, you want to go to the grocery store, like me. When I go to the grocery store, I go to Carney. So that's a, the money I spent in Carney. I just went to the grocery store and spent um, $100. That $100 could have been spent in Newark if there were a grocery store in Newark, convenient. And then that money would have stayed in Newark. That means when that money went into that register and that money then goes into the pockets of the employees, then they can spend that money in Newark as well. In a wealthy area, the money circulates about seven times. Mm. So Newark has a ways to go. By encouraging entrepreneurship in Newark, then we can help keep that money in Newark. By putting Newark people to work in businesses, that will keep that money in Newark and make a tremendous difference. And that will have a profound effect on the community. Um, We believe in not bringing, for instance, big chains. Everybody's talking about, you know, bring these chains in from outside as a supermarket, like bring in a path marker, AMP, or whatever. And I would contend that, no, that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is take you, Darrell, who is working in a supermarket, is interested, train you while your supermarket's being built to run a supermarket, and we can show you best practices, which is not what's typically done. So we can train you and and make you an owner of the supermarket. We can provide some financing, and then you are buying the supermarket. You're the owner. Now, that means that, you know, everybody forgets that every supermarket started as one supermarket. APMP didn't start as a chain. It started as one supermarket. Pathmark, same thing. Same thing with Walmart. Walmart, all of these. Yeah. You know, the, one of the, the most lucrative supermarket businesses is Stu Leonard's up in Norwalk, Connecticut. Um, and he's now finally spread out and has several different ones. But, you know, we can take you and show you that. That's a whole experience. And there's a reason they do well. 
So you can learn these um, attributes of, of great businesses and inculcate them into your supermarket. We can help you with that. And then we'll, people will go to Durrell's supermarket. Why not? And that way we keep the profits in Newark rather than repatriating the profits back to the home office in some other state because that's how those or executives country, get paid. Right. Or mm-hmm. country if it's uh, international. Mm-hmm. Rather mm-hmm. than if, you know having somebody in Texas or West Podunk getting the benefit of the spending of that money, we keep it in Newark, and we Newark get the benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how those execs can make all that money because all the profits beyond, you know, the people in the local supermarket get wages, but the profits go back to the home office. So let's That's keep right. the profits in Newark. And let's talk about some of the businesses that mm-hmm. have already started through your center. I yes. think you're, you're, you're targeting Halsley, Halsley, yeah, Halsley Street. Street. Halsley Street is between Rutgers and... Broad Street, which is the main drag. I think everybody pretty much knows North. Back in the day, Shanique's was the main right. club there. I heard. But, um, <laughs> there's no Shanique's now, but we want a Shanique's. Right. So what we want to do, and um, our dean, um, Michael Cooper, came up with the vision of a 24-7 university. Because we have in the area 11,000 students between... Well, actually, Rutgers um, Newark has 11,500 students. We have UMD, we have NJIT, right. and Essex. So mm-hmm. we have 30,000 students. With really not much to do, no place to go, a lot, you know, nowhere to shop, and so we want to create Halsey Street as a destination. So um, in October 2008, we financed, helped finance the Coffee Cave, and that generated a lot of publicity. And we financed several other businesses um, on Halsey Street through a variety of partners. Um, one of our partners is the Profeta Urban Investment Foundation, and it's through my colleague's class, Jeff Robinson class that students will look at people who've applied for some funding and do due diligence, which means tearing that business apart, looking at all the numbers and making a recommendation to the investment committee. Now, for the businesses that are not selected, Mm -hmm. are they then giving counseling as to how they can make it better? We do give them counseling um, on what they need to do to get to the next step. We may give them other counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, The businesses that the students then will present um, to the investment committee, they may say, "Well, well, we don't think you should fund this business right now. They're not ready, or um, Halsey Street's not the best location for this business. They need to locate elsewhere, in which case they're ineligible for that particular funding, or it's the wrong kind of business. So what the Profeta Fund looks for is businesses that are in entertainment, arts, and retail, owned by minority, and on Halsey Street in particular. Um, but we have other funders. We've worked with GMBDC, Greater North Business Development Consortium. We've worked with CMB Bank, um, BCDC, Brick City Development Corporation. Um, and funded some other businesses. And we have a bunch of, a number of banks that want to meet with us um, and are interested in funding some of the businesses that we're interested in. There are a number of organizations that you just cited. Right. And um, do you find that uh, the organizations get together formally to talk about a, a very holistic strategic yeah. plan to we're really develop yeah, Newark? We're, we're starting to initiate that type of meeting. Um, we're doing more things together. For instance, we're very collaborative. So we work with a variety of organizations, including SBDC, Eiffel Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership, uh, we, we've in talks with uh, people from a variety of places, like Judas Chef, who I understand will be a guest, um, who's at NJIT and runs the incubator there. So we, um, we get together and, and talk about a variety of things. Uh, we're working on some projects together. One of the projects we're looking at is a, f- a food project. Um, a number of people are talking about different aspects, but what we want to do is pull everybody into the room together and develop a holistic, comprehensive, integrated plan um, that will include a food incubator, um, a test kitchen, uh, restaurant school, 
urban gardens, some technology and, and knowledge from, uh, we have a food science group. Um, they have some new ways of growing plants so we can make um, growing season less so that um, we can kind of cultivate plants and fruits and vegetables year round. Um, and let's say you open Darrell's restaurant. You got the supermarket going for you. Now you can right. open Darrell's <laughs> restaurant. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so now you can have fresh Jersey produce, you know, locally mm-hmm. grown, you know, in your, you know, in your restaurant. Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. gone to our restaurant school. So unlike most restaurateurs who may be good cooks but know nothing about running a restaurant right. as a business, right. you now know how to run your restaurant as a business. So right. you have increased dramatically your chances for being a successful restaurateur. Right. And right. then you've, you're, you and your employees have gone to culinary school. So now mm-hmm. you've learned the best techniques for cooking, for handling the food. Um, so it's a you know holistic what yes. I would call a virtuous circle of right. activity, right? And beneficial. So we've got people employed, um, we've got people having a place to go eat, and you may even have some jazz music there. You know, the at restaurant. the at the recent Eiffel conference, there was some uh, excellent jazz music yes. uh, being played. I understand that uh, you're also working with the woman who provided yes. the uh-huh. music. Yes, um, April Greer um, mm-hmm. is interested in, in starting a jazz club, and we're working with her to get that off the ground. We have another uh, uh, husband and wife team who want to put in a rhythm and blues restaurant. And so I think we're that, was, with that them. was barbecue, right? Barbecue, barbecue, yes. yes. Rhythm, <laughs> rhythm and cues. Rhythm and cues. I like right. that. That's yeah, very nice. It's a catchy name. So we're working with them to identify a space and, and some financing for that. Um, we want to make Halsey Street a destination. Um, it's like in the old days when you went to Shanika's. Shanique's. Shanique's, yes. Yeah. We yes. want people to, to yeah. be able to come to Halls. Because Street. back in the, the late 70s, you had uh, Bamberger's, which was owned by Macy's, mm-hmm. uh, which was their New Jersey yes. name for whatever mm-hmm. reason. But it was a major store yeah. there um, right off of Halls. Yeah, and my know. students tell me that you know when they were younger that you know Newark was the place for everybody to go. You went there to do your shopping. That was yes. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, People get ready for holidays or Easter or something like that. You had to go to Newark to get your outfit. Um, If you wanted to listen to any entertainment, to jazz or anything, or any musicians, famous musicians, they all came through Newark. I'm from New York, so I just didn't have a clue about Of course, of course. Well, New York is New (laughs) York. Yeah, but um, I heard Newark was really the place. And if you weren't a, a musician and you didn't play in Newark, you weren't considered to be that good. Believe it or not, back in 1977 in the fall, Madonna mm-hmm. performed oh. at the Robert Treat Hotel, okay. her first song, Everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Newark yeah. was the place. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, we have our Newark musicians. That's right. Um, but, you know, the idea of transforming the city of Newark starts with this notion of creating wealth in the urban community, putting people into business, wealth. giving people a place to shop and spend their money to mm-hmm. increase that multiplier effect. Mm-hmm. And it was very holistic. It all works together. And it's important that we um, we try to do everything we can to make it easy for people to get into business in Newark. One of the problems in the past has been, well, still a problem, but we, something we're going to be working with our city council on, is making Newark an easy and friendly place for people to start businesses. We have lost so many businesses to surrounding towns because our processes are horrific. Mm-hmm. My students did a project, and it took, I mean, it was utterly ridiculous, the steps and the convoluted aspects of trying to get a, you know, your licenses and your permits to do business in Newark. So we need to make it one-stop shopping. We need to make it seamless and friendly. We need to be the Singapore of the U.S. in terms of business friendliness. Right. And that will have a tremendous impact right. on Newark and its economic development. 
it, it seems like the the current process there's a lot of barriers. Yes. Not intentional, no, but just no. but just administrative barriers that need to be worked right. out. It's like you know we talked last week about the Sears case and um, how people have sort of these sacred cows. Something is implemented for whatever reason, oftentimes not the best reason, mm-hmm. and then it becomes part of the process, and nobody stands back and says. You know, does this make sense? Should we continue to do this? Um, what's a better way to do it? So right. that's that creativity again. Exactly. Um, taking a fresh <clears throat> look and saying, it doesn't just because we do it this way is not the way it has to be done. Let's maybe even do some benchmarking. And I don't believe in benchmarking as a strategy, but certainly as a way to give you some ideas about how things can be done or how other people are doing things. And then taking the best of the best and, and, and bringing them to your business. And the city of Newark um, definitely needs to look at that. Because it's to the benefit of the mayor and the city council to be able to get more businesses that want to relocate in Newark or to start in Newark and to make it as easy as possible for them to do so, um, you know, with certain guidelines in place. And um, to make that process one that will then get more businesses here. And if you get more businesses here, then they'll transform the city. I I fully agree. I mean, back in 1993, when I first relocated back from Chicago Mm -hmm. to New Jersey, my wife and I were living in Scotch Plains, Mm -hmm. and I dropped my sister off at uh, Newark Penn Station. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute, you got train, Mm -hmm. you got bus, Mm -hmm. you got the airport, you got the ports, you got the Performing Arts Center. Yes. I mean, it, it's the all foundation. Things, yes. And then yes. you got all the major institutions right. here. I said, you got a lot of the major pieces right. for it to be a very thriving right. uh, Yes, it should be city. a thriving place. I mean, we have a, a natural resource um, endowment that most cities don't have. I mean, cities have a lot of these things, but we are even fortunate to have such a confluence of endowments yes. that we have not been able or have not to yet, to a point taken advantage of. And there's some, you know, there's some reasons. Um Simple thing. Um, oh, boy, about 10 years ago, I guess. Whenever it was, they were doing 744 Broad Street. A friend of mine, Dennis Force, was managing that project. And he tried to get the merchants on Broad Street to do a BID, Business Improvement District, which means, I guess if you go to Montclair or someplace like that, you'll see where the, the businesses are attractive, you know, they have nice signage, mm-hmm. they have a nice uniform look. Absolutely. And they look inviting. Mm-hmm. The businesses didn't see a need to do it. They didn't do it. And it's a hodgepodge. And, you know, people thought, well, if we put, put in the pack, you know, everybody's going to benefit. <laughs> but the whole problem, well, there are a number of problems with that. One of the problems is too much police presence on the street because um, you can have ununiformed police right. presence, which can uh, the criminals know who the police are, whether they're dressed in the uniform right, or not. Right, right, but it right. doesn't scare people because if I'm coming from, like, Teaneck, New Jersey, and I see all these police, I'm like, oh, my God. Newark is a dangerous place, you know, even though I'm coming to see, you know, right. some recital at the That's pack. Right. I'm That's going right. to scoop myself right back up to Teaneck. That's right. You know, when I leave, I'm not going to try to explore Newark and or have know, dinner or have before dinner. or, or maybe after. if I have dinner at the, in the theater there. But, right, right. you know, that's about it. Right. You know, because driving in, it doesn't look like an attractive place. And then I see all the police. That even adds to it. Mm-hmm. You know, even with the um, with the rock. You know, right. people will be right in that area, but it hasn't spread out to the rest no. of Newark. No, it hasn't. No, um, it hasn't. But because, you know, other towns you go into, they look interesting. You go, oh, you know, what's That's here? Right. What's there? Right. You know, That's right. but we don't we don't have that look. 
So that has something that has to be taken care of and can make a difference. The visualization, the marketing, yes, and, and yes, all of that. You know. you know, the drive up. I mean, uh, Newark Airport uh, driving up to it now, it's a lot better than yes. what, what it yeah. has been over and the And the years. signage in Newark is a lot better than when yes. I first came here yes. in 94. But, you know, there's there's something about New Jersey that mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I, we have a running joke, is mm-hmm. that uh, if I ever wanted to run for governor, I would run on a platform of better uh, signage in the streets <laughs> yes. uh, for, for, uh, on the highways yes. because it's, it's, it's pretty When it's I first moved bad. to Newark, I could not find my way back to my mm. apartment if I left because of the signage was so horrible. But it's much better now that, you know, we've got the pack and the rock. Right. Um, but we still have a ways to go. And, t- and you spoke about marketing, Newark. We actually have a, um, a committee that's working on that very aspect. It's something that has long been needed, and we're finally getting to it, working with the city of Newark and the university. Rutgers University um, to, to really market the city because we have you know, a lot of good attributes, mm-hmm. but they're not being marketed correctly. You, you know, and being that I'm a CMO in my uh, regular profession, mm-hmm. uh, I always find that marketing gets the short shrift. Uh, yes. A lot of folks yes. uh, feel that marketing is just throwing money into the right. wind. Um, when when there's a downturn, marketing gets cut. But it, but the point where it can actually be used effectively mm-hmm. to really position and yes. market. Yes. But it takes for the leader right. to, understand to understand the value right. of it. And, and, yeah. and because there's sometimes there's some marketing folks who right. are who are probably not being as effective as right. they could right. be. And the leader needs to be able to understand that you know all of these functions have their role, and um, you can't too many times when there's a downturn. People cut in the wrong places. They right. cut the muscle. They cut the things that are going to be your seed corn for the future. Right. An example is our governor with cutting you know, education. You know, that's the seed corn for the future. How can you have a strong state with an uneducated populace? That absolutely makes no sense. Well, we have already watched California, yes. Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and Boston take, take our uh, – scientific research market away from right. us with the stem cell. Right, bill. and we used to actually be, you know, the center for research. That's right. And That's historically, right. too. That's you right. know, Edison was in this area. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of research going on. And we need to recapture that. We have great universities, but the university system is being just emasculated by the governors um, who think they can just keep cutting, 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 and it's not going to have an effect. And then they wonder why they don't have enough, can't raise revenue and taxes. You know, they can't. We need the cuts in Trenton, not not the yes. cuts in education. I would say that definitely. Mm-hmm. Our governmental system is just uh, too fat. That's where the fat is, and that's what needs to be cut. And, you know, this whole notion of ro- rolling people through, you know, positions so that they can get this huge pension that we can't afford to pay for them. We don't get it. Right. You know, the government right. people always get the best health care and the best pensions, but don't want the regular people to have any of it. Right. Right. You know, thank goodness for President Obama to at least try. I mean, exactly. You know, this notion that it has to be a perfect plan before you can be approved is nonsense. There's never a perfect plan. There's never plan. a perfect plan. You know, it's always very fluid and we're always looking to work to yeah, improve it. And it should adapt as, you know, as we go along and improve it. Judy Estrin, have you had the opportunity to read her book, The Innovation Gap? Uh, I've looked at it, but I haven't uh, read it cover to cover. I met her at a conference oh. uh, a year ago, mm-hmm. and I got inspired by her speech, mm-hmm. read yeah. her book, and then had her on the program. But she talks about how we have to really look at innovation in a long-term basis yes. and know that we need to develop our students K-12 through right. so that they can matriculate right. our, at our great institutions. Right. Our institutions is our greatest asset it our is. country has. You know, education, we were the you know, sine qua non and education, and um, when I was a kid, we had schools that you know n- nobody in the world could touch, and now we're falling behind the curve. If you look at the investment in education in our country compared to a country like China, which is hell bent on taking our lunch. Oh yeah, oh in India as well. India as well. 
China mm-hmm. wants to be the leading producer of science and scientific technology by 2050. Mm-hmm. Think about that. They mm-hmm. have a long-term vision, and they are putting their money where their mouth is, if you will. Right. Um, they realize the value of education, not only um, coming to the West to get education, but they're, they're building new schools there, left and right. The Olympics, their opening yes. and closing that program. That should give you a clue about the Chinese. Exactly. I mean, I have a course called Doing Business in China. I oh, take yes. my students every year mm-hmm. over spring break. I also take business people with me as well. Oh, I just took um, Doug Lawrence, who runs um, the Greenway, I believe is the name of his company. Mm-hmm. It's a, a green construction company. And he was just amazed. In fact, he even started doing some business while we were on the trip um, with some of our visits. Excellent. I gave a presentation to one of our visits on, on his um, on his company and, and what they can, uh, can do. But all the business people I've taken are just amazed because, you know, you read about China. Reading about it is one thing. Seeing it, seeing it on the ground, not just as a tourist, but the view that we have. Right. Seeing it as doing business in China, seeing how business works, what's going on at that level is just, you know, unbeatable. And so well, maybe I'll get invited. I would love to. Well, you have to pay now. <laughs> that, that, that's quite all right. <laughs> that's quite all right. But yeah, but I mean, uh-huh. as a business person, I don't think you can be a credible business person in today's age or as a business student without exposure, firsthand exposure, not through just books and articles exactly. of business in another country. Exactly. Particularly China, I think, because that is the country that um, is going to be number one. Um, if, and we can sit up here and tell ourselves, oh, they're not as creative and, you know, they're not as good as us and, oh, they're doing this and that. But if we look at our own history, a lot of what we're criticizing everybody else for, we had in our own history here in this country. We had child labor. We exploited people. Um, you know, we destroyed the environment and actually still are in many respects. So mm-hmm, um, it's mm-hmm. almost a kettle calling the pot black, if you will. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. China's had remarkable growth in a, in a few short years. And um, they are trying, um, maybe not as successfully as we would like, but they're trying to make a difference. They're trying to deal with certain aspects, um, uh, environment and other things. Um, They have um, a different form of capitalism, which is socialist capitalism, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it is working. Yep. Um, And so um, we need to get out of this hubris um, that we have about um, that we are the only great people and nobody else can be as good as us and that nobody can be better than us because that's not true. That's right. That's right. Well, Dr. Ogilvie, we are out of time. Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) I want to thank you again for coming on the program. I've enjoyed myself. Thank you very much for having me. And we will certainly have you back because there's so many topics. China could be a whole discussion on on, on China. Well, we're so pleased to have Dr. Ogilvie from Rutgers University. She is the uh, founding director for the Center of Entrepreneurship and Economic Development. And uh, this is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, located on Seton Hall University's campus. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great week.